Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, If you have a Bible, could you turn to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. And could somebody read nice and loudly verse 1 to 21? Luke 2, verse 1 to 21. And then, could somebody retell the story? Uh, and you won't get all the, probably get all the details. That's fine. The flavor of the story. One of the things we want to practice as a church is not just coming and sort of listening passively to the Bible. Actually, we want to be a people who have creative ways of discussing it and kind of almost getting it into us. So storytelling it, discussing it, all that kind of stuff is actually very an ancient and uh, long established way that the people of God, as it were, the Christian church, get into the Bible. So, um, who wants to have the easy bit of reading it out loud? Oh, Sam, do I see that hand? You were scratching your head, weren't you? But uh, Oh, you want to do the storytelling? I'll do the, I'll do yeah, the great. Okay, who wants to read it then? It's a great story. Thanks, Billy. I'm going to read off the screen so it's the same version. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in an Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. 
On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Okay, great. Thank you, Billy. Sam. It's a pretty easy story to summarize. Oh! It's a pretty, it's a pretty direct story. It's, uh, yes. It's a lot of uh, great. Meaning. It's the birth of Jesus. And, uh, it kind of helps me personally. We've been watching a bit of the shows. We just watched the episode. Mm-hmm. So Mary and Joseph, um, go uh, away to, to the place that they're allowed to really have their child. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. This particular part of the story doesn't get into why they were there, why they had to go to that place. Um, but yeah, yeah, the day has finally come to bring the Messiah into the world. So they go, and hopefully it all goes well. And uh, he's born into the world, and his name is Jesus. He says the prophets and just as the angels had said. And uh, I think it's interesting that the uh, the three uh, shepherds that are nearby, I don't know how close they really were, they're nearby, tending to their flocks at night, um, were spoken to directly by angels and, and legions uh, from, from heaven. Um, and in the passage, we at least get to hear what they say when we watch the, the episodes of uh, The Chosen. It's, they just are like in awe of how amazing it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just run, they sprint as fast as they can to Bethlehem. That's great. Thank you. We'll get into a quick Q&A in just a sec. Thank you, Sam. Great storytelling. What I want us to do, we do this every week now, we want to look at two questions, broad questions. What does this tell us about God? And what does this tell us about people? So team left, stage left, if, and I can include Manette perhaps, if you guys want to look at the first question, what does this tell us about God? Just look at it through that lens. Guys on this side, stage right, for you thespians, um, could you look at the other question, which is what does this tell us about people? Okay, turn around, introduce yourself if you don't know each other. And um, in fact, I'm because you're a slightly larger group, Herman and Tim, do you guys, and Victor, do you guys want to form a four here? And then you guys are four there. And then we've got the team at the back. You guys can do the God question as well, if that's okay. Wonderful. What does this tell us about God, this story? Five minutes. Go for it. Okay. Just going to break into your conversations. Get a little bit of feedback. What about this team here? These guys. You guys. Any thoughts about what it tells us about God? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes, they knew exactly where to go 
because the stable where the baby would be would naturally be the stable where every Passover, the feast of Passover, they would keep the unblemished lambs swaddled mm -hmm. to keep them unblemished before they were sacrificed, blood sacrificed at the temple. And Jesus came as the Savior, the Messiah, the sacrifice. He was born to die. But that stable was even part of God's plan. Wow. Very stable where yes. I mean, you know, prophecy of what was to come. Why yeah, I love that. I, one commentator I read said, isn't it amazing how God orchestrated that August, Caesar Augustus, who was the, the first guy to actually change Rome from a republic to an empire. So this is the beginning of Rome as the dominating empire. That at that moment in the providence of God, this guy calls for a, a, uh, a census, which as you say then draws Jesus' family not away from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is the exact spot it need, he needs to be to fulfill the ancient prophecy. You know, just the way that God uses even government and different things to set things up. Brilliant. What about the team at the back? Any thoughts about that question? What does this tell us about God? Come on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Lily, what was your comment to me? Come on. It was brilliant. Yes. Yeah. What was the first? You said something like God sent a really big. God uses big signals, and you said God seems often to be very understated in life, but at this moment when His Son's born, He's like ba ba ba. You know, it's like God just like goes over the top, and this amazing scene of not just one angel, but then like the curtain goes back, and there's this what's literally in the Greek an army. That's what it means, a host. It's amazing. So I love that, Lily. That's a great point. God, who's often subtle and sort of a bit hidden in a way, it's God here, who knows? Suddenly, when it comes to his boy, he's just like, I can't hold it in anymore. And he's, you know, he's just overt. How about these two, two groups here? How about maybe this, you guys there? Any thoughts about what this tells us about people? No? Okay, so this guy... I, <laughs> Brenda? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I sensed it. I'll get the messenger. Um, it was similar to actually, well, one of the things that was said anyway was similar to that, which is that, um, well, I digress. That was actually a little sidebar comment about God. I'm trying to think of what was the people one that. But sometimes when, when God sort of suddenly interjects himself into our things, it can be terrible. Wow. That yes. That's so true. My big brother stood here six weeks ago. He's just become a Christ follower, 50. And he said it has not been comfortable. Yeah. Christ, he, sees, he feels like a, like a hawk who's picked me up. And it's incredible, but it's not comfortable. Yeah. And I love that point. Oh, the fear of the Lord is clean, as it says in Proverbs. How we need to hear that. We are loved, but we are so small compared with the great Lord of the universe. Great point. 
Wonderful. What about you guys? What does this tell us about people? Uh, no, that's why I have a question. Yeah. About why. So we got we talking about that. Yeah. Why Jessica choose a teenage girl? And <laughs> great question. <laughs> Which. <laughs> wow. That's great, Des. Um, what do you think? Oh, God. <laughs> What's your theory? Okay, what, what do I think? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, my question was like, ew, weird. But, um, sorry, it's true. It's just, I don't know, it's interesting because I grew up going to church and you hear these stories and you don't yeah. question anything. And now that I'm, I'm back, I got questions. Good. <laughs> we love questions. Um, no, I mean, I suppose it makes sense. I mean, we're kind of talking about the context of the culture a, a little bit. And obviously, I'm not like, but um, I, I guess, I don't know. I, that's the real answer. I don't know yet. Like, yeah. I, I'm just trying to figure it out. I love that. So okay. the, the question, which is superb, is the people point, why did God choose such a young teenage girl? Any, any thoughts? No, I pointed to you, Scott. I, you normally say very wise things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lord, please don't pick Lily. She's too young, Father. And Hannah. No, we're talking about like if she was an adult and she had more children, like then it would be clear that it was God's child. Right. So it had to be the firstborn. Yeah. And it also they were getting married at that age. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, I guess you kind of <coughs> culturally, culturally, it wasn't as earlier than we do. Yeah. yeah. But, but Victor brought up a good point too. It was like, but why major? Why no room in the end? Like. It seems very un- inconvenient, and uh, like if you could be honest, like it seems unkind of God, right, to like re- recruit, like impose these conditions on his, on, on the characters he's enlisting in the story. If that makes sense. Do you know what? I read this book. I read half of a book two weeks ago called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It's it's already fantastic. So if you've never read it, I would. It's on. You can get it on the free library. San Francisco Library app, and he talks, this guy who lived there for 40 years, scholar, he said, we often, his, his view, and he seems to argue it well, is not, not quite as it reads, that she literally had nowhere. For example, Joseph was part of the Davidic line, okay, so he was a, that's a big deal, that village would have known, this is Joseph, son, 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 son of David, plus uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, their village is nearby, so, and also the room, that's, the, the word that's translated in, if you look in the NIV, it actually says no guest room. So they, this guy suggesting, and a lot of others that I've read seem to suggest that it's not that literally there was nowhere, but that the guest room that they traditionally had in Jewish houses was just not available in the place that she was going. Um, so that they weren't literally out in the middle of nowhere, but that they were still in the house, but not in the actual guest room. The other interesting fact is apparently mangers, where the animals ate, were nearly always actually in the house. They weren't separate. They were like part of almost like the big kitchen type area. So um, <clears throat> it is significant that this baby, the sign that, the, you know, that Gabriel, it seems, the angel, tells them that the key sign is that this baby that's going to be born is in a manger. It's obviously unusual because it's not like, yeah, of course, that's where babies go. But... It softens 
it softens the landing, should we say. It's not just this like bleak, help, help, there's nowhere. And this, you know, it's a, it's, it's actually seems to be a bit more of a, um, a kind picture once you understand the nuances of the different words. <clears throat> Apparently there's the sort of story we're familiar with where they're literally knocking on doors and it's an inn. There's no room at the inn. <clears throat> and the idea of a manger being a very separate, horrible agricultural area was actually generated from a, a novel that was written hundreds of years ago about this, which has kind of got into our consciousness and has tweaked the way we read it. It wasn't December 25th either. No, probably not. <laughs> so... Uh, great question. I, th- I think the other thing I throw in again is one of the bi- one of the definite big themes of this. It's so glorious. Sorry, is that it's about weakness. That is undeniable. So one of the things that's so interesting is in those days Caesar Augustus. He was known as the Lord. He, he people called him Caesar is Lord. Okay, he's the strong, powerful human, mega power person humanly right so Luke is wanting in those days when the superpower king which demanded people to say yes you're actually God when he was starting to set up his kingdom in this tiny little town there's a pregnant teenage girl who has the very son of God in her tummy so the point being is the kingdom of this world is so different to the kingdom of Jesus, which is marked by weakness, in some ways obscurity, as, as you said, Lily, understatement. Um, you know, the church, even now globally, is still weak in many ways. Paul says it's a jar of clay. That's how he describes the church. You know, it's always going to be this interesting thing of weakness and of fragility. Anyone here feel weak and fragile? I mean, we all do, right? So I think the fact that he chose a teenage girl fits in with the style of the Christian God, who's kind of understated. You know, he's not showy. In that way, he's quite San Francisco. You know, you can be talking to someone and they look quite scruffy and then it turns out they're a billionaire. You know, it's kind of like understated style, but hidden in it is this kingly, regal deal. So I want a great discussion, everyone. I lo- wonderful. I love it. Um, I'm just going to share a couple of uh, points around this idea of peace. And if, if I've got a title, hopefully it might come up, is this. And obviously the theme of this is peace, or of today, Advent. And my, my, my title is this, is that peace is, looking at this passage, I want to argue that peace is possible. It is possible wherever and whoever you are. If you're comfortable joining me, maybe you could say that with me after three, just to help it go in. We'll say that one, two, three. Peace is possible wherever and whoever you are. So I'm going to look at this through the lens of peace because that is one of the classic four Advent themes. I think it's fair to say when you think about this story and uh, you know, all that's happening... When I first read it, I was, or when I read it thinking, okay, I'm going to connect this with peace, because that's the thing. I remember thinking, if I was Mary, I don't know if I would associate this crazy pregnancy with peace. She probably was stressed and like, worried and felt embarrassed, right? That suddenly she's mysteriously carrying this baby. Joseph, suddenly his wife is heavy with child, and that's causing some questions. 
Okay, how can this happen? I don't think he would have thought, oh yes, peace. Or you think about the fact that after this story, Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt because the king, King Herod, issues a decree to kill all of the firstborn children. So they literally become refugees. They have to move to Egypt for years straight after this story. So I don't think they would have associated it with peace. What I'm trying to say is the birth of Jesus in some ways... For those people, those main characters around it, I don't think would immediately have thought, yeah, great, my life's really peaceful now. But you do see a couple of principles here that are, I think, amazing in this familiar story around the idea of peace. The first, I want to argue, if we really zoom in on the shepherds that we, that we were talking about, the first point to say is this, that there is a kind of peace, I think, we can... We can actually expect, if you know the Christian God, first of all, wherever you are. Now, why am I saying that? Look with me here in verse 8. And there were shepherds, where were they? Living out in the fields nearby, okay? Keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So this is huge. The first thing just to picture in your mind is in this grubby, muddy, Middle Eastern field, you see this incredible like juxtaposition of the very glory of God and an angel of the Lord appearing there. Not in some very important religious place, but there in a grubby, unimportant field that we don't, I mean, we have theories as to where it might be, but nobody really knows. Now, why is that important? Well, number one, because just about every other world religion puts a big emphasis on geography. So if you're a Muslim, it's important you get to Mecca. If you're a Jew, it's important that you're aware of Jerusalem and the physical centre. And even if you're not a, a kind of religious type person, There is a kind of geographic pecking order that even in the secular religion we tend to live by, right? We have this sense of, I can only know peace if I live and I get to a certain place. It's it's a kind of geographic FOMO, right? And it is a, a huge thing, certainly in the Bay, that there's many of us who, we live here, but really we're often thinking about somewhere else. Another place. Well, I'm here at the moment, but there's X, Y, or Z. And what I think this is telling us, first of all, that if you know Jesus, it is possible to know the very presence of God, even in a field. That to be a Christ follower means wherever you are, you are able to expect the kind of invading and the coming of the very kingdom of God. You don't have to get to Mecca. You don't have to get to Jerusalem. You don't have to be in a certain place. You you may never live in a particularly famous place. You may never have what the world would say, physically, you need to have peace. What this is telling us to these, you know, these shepherds who were sitting there in their place of work, okay? It wasn't some sort of special holy place. They're in their place of work their place of stress, their place of tiredness. Suddenly the glory of God comes. 
And this is remarkable because in the Old Testament, generally, when you see these extraordinary moments where heaven appears, often it's associated, it's very rare, and it's associated with, you know, when the temple was finally built, then the glory of God came. And now we see in this muddy field the very presence of God in this remarkable place, which I think is absolutely huge for us. Because I think, as it says in Psalm 139, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that it is, it is multicentric. It is a place, it is, it is, you can be living in a mud hut in Africa with nothing materially that this world would say you need for peace. And you can know the very presence of Jesus. Because in some ways, the kind of FOMO, you know, oh, I need to get to another place, I need to get to another place. And, and I totally get it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm obviously British. Um, and, uh, you know, there's times where I long for parts of Britain. I think, oh, you know, the fish and chips or whatever it might be. You know, it's not, it's not wrong to have geographic preference. Of course, don't mis- mishear me. But this is, a, this is one of the reasons that they said this is, Good news of great joy is they're saying God, the Christian God, he is available for you to actually know, like literally encounter at any point in your life, in the middle of the night when you're nursing your newborn child, Amanda, and you're feeling like, can I go for another hour? This is saying there is actually peace possible because God is someone who can come wherever you are at whatever time. And in many ways, the kind of FOMO, the sort of fear of missing out that we often feel like, oh, I'm here, but, you know, and particularly in the States, right, we're sport for choice. Because if you're an American, you can have like 50 different states to pick from. And, and sort of your own political persuasion and your house. and You know, it's this sort of amazing blessing, but it can also gnaw away at that sense of, well, here I am right now in this place. And am I living actually expecting God to appear. It may not, he may not appear in this way with all of, all of the angelic hosts, but am I living in a place of expecting God to kind of appear even as I'm doing my very normal things? I know I'm often, I don't know if any of you are like this, I, I'm often living, I'm physically here, but I'm quite often mentally kind of always thinking about the future. I don't know if any of you identify with that. If you're into the Enneagram, I've got a lot of seven in me, which is like, I'm here, but I'm always thinking about England on Thursday. And, and it's not all wrong, but one of the healthiest signs for me is when I'm able to be really present to the present. You know what I mean? Where you notice, well, the temperature in this room is probably like 65 right now. There's a certain smell I can smell, and Tim is sitting there, and I like his sweater stylish and Lily's there wearing my my jacket and looks good on her you know when you're actually increasingly present to the present for me that's often a sign that there's a health coming and I think as a Christian to truly believe that peace is possible even if God does move us in different places peace is actually possible wherever you are is a phenomenal and glorious truth that I think 
uh, we mustn't miss. Philippians 4, probably the most famous passage on anxiety, says this. And I've often missed the first four words. What are the first four words? Now, is anyone here? I, I often then, it then says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. I get onto the dewy stuff. That first, those first four words, I would say, are perhaps the most important four words. Tom, even when you're living in fields, you're in that place that's just normal, just Portola or wherever you might live, just the daily city, just live across the city. I'm here for a season and I'm going back to Norway. Where, you know, in that moment, listen, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Man, that's amazing. When we realise his nearness, wherever we are, is the key to knowing peace rather than anything else. The Lord is near. He is active and he is appearing. Whatever you are. So he is active, he is active. And he is appearing. He's appearing. <clears throat> Those guys would have had no doubt for the rest of their lives, this God, he's no kind of like respecter of geography. Even in our most particularly unimpressive place, God is present. This is huge. This is so huge. As a church, we talk a lot about being unhurried in the presence of the poor and being unfazed in the presence of the powerful. That's success. Most people in this city who have rejected Christianity, it is because they've met Christians. Mark Twain famously said, I love Christianity, I just have a problem with Christians. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, but it's terrifyingly true. And when you talk to people and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in spiritual things, I just find Christianity. Why? Oh, because I met this Christian. Or I was in this church. Why is that important? I tell you it's important. One of the reasons we're here is if we can slow down and love well one person at a time and ask, what does love look like right now to this person? And to be unhurried in the presence of people who in some ways we could see as poor, either literally or just, maybe not as important as this other person in my mind. There is a power that comes in my, in my heart, in my, in my belief, when all of us live our days one person at a time. And that only comes if we believe the Lord is near. How will I have an unhurried conversation when anxiety is trying to draw my mind and my heart to the very next thing? The only thing that can penetrate Tom's anxiety is an increasing sense, Tom, trust the Lord is here right now even in this normal place that may feel as about as, as spiritual as a bag of cement the Lord is here and I'm going to trust that as I have this conversation with this person or as I live this life I'm, I'm trusting that he is taking pleasure in that <clears throat> I said this to Billy a few weeks ago I said you know in some ways um, the last year or so even though we're just getting going as a community and we're not like a big community, but 
I actually have felt like the pleasure of the Father, almost like physically, over each of my conversations in a new way. I can almost sense heaven going, yes, love well, one person at a time. Be unhurried, Tom, with that person who you're tempted to hurry up and finish their sentences because there's a powerful person over there. You know, I felt his pleasure starting to come. Peace wherever we are. So let me ask this question. Where are you tempted to hurry? Where are you tempted to be physically present, but not emotionally present? What might it look like for you to actually, as it were, when you inhabit those places, to increasingly have a stronger sense of my father, Emmanuel, as we can look at next week, he is with me. Let me ask this question. If I had coffee in Hey Neighbour after this meeting with the King of England. If the King of England was near and he's come to have coffee with Tom Shaw for an hour, I am not going to be thinking about anyone else. I'm not going to be thinking about the next thing. I am going to be deeply present because the King is present. Friends, isn't it amazing to think that God goes with us, the King, wherever we are, And so, actually, we can increasingly overcome that kind of anxious, restless... Listen, you're a limited human. The world tells you, with social media and planes, you can be omnipresent. You can't be. You know, I've got to think about these 3,000 people on Facebook who I kind of vaguely friends with, or all of these expectations still. I was talking to a dear friend of mine, and she was like, I feel so guilty because I haven't been this amazing friend to this other person. And I'm like, that other person lives 4,000 miles away. Now I get it. There's still that sense of like caring and you can do certain things. But one of the curses of our time is the lie that you can be kind of mentally, emotionally, physically present everywhere. And it robs us, right? Of actually slowing down to be deeply present one person at a time. So first point I want to say is this. Peace is possible wherever you are. I think you can draw that from looking at the shepherds living in the field. They didn't have to go anywhere. God came to them. And I believe even today, as I say this, there's faith coming to your heart. Yeah. As I go and do my normal life, I think my father wants to draw close and give me his perspective. Lovely quote, which we'll, I'll finish this, this little section with, from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I love this poem, you probably know it. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush on fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love that. This idea that all of the world around us is crammed with God. And as we slow down, we start to see his his sort of majesty more and more and more in each of the, the normal things. Peace is possible wherever you are. We don't have to get to a certain place before he will meet with us. Number two, peace is possible um, whoever we are. Now, who is it in verse eight that was living in the fields? Who were they? Shepherds, yes, absolutely. I don't know if you know much about shepherds. I knew very little. What I knew was that that job 
what's quite a kind of humble blue-collar job, right? Probably most of you know that. What I didn't know was that in addition to that, it wasn't just that shepherds were kind of like, yeah, they had a humble job. They're like, you know, do, uh, you know they work in McDonald's or something, like an important job, but it's, it's not a kind of highly prestigious job. Actually, it's more than that. Shepherds uh, in that time were generally not trusted. There were these guys who lived out in the middle of nowhere 95% of the time. They could not even, they, they, they couldn't share um, testimony or witness in a legal court because they were so mistrusted. There were these kind of slightly weird guys who were just a bit, honestly, a bit smelly, who just lived out and they're really nomadic. And they're kind of, I mean, there's certain groups that you could sort of, nowadays kind of go oh right yeah that is a bit creepy um and they were really into their sheep (laughs) and um but they but they they were like really not trusted their reputation was really not great and it's to these people these people that god chooses first of all to reveal that his son is being born a few miles away from where they are think about that picture in your mind these scruffy, nomadic, creepy guys who people don't trust, they're the ones that God says to them. Look, he says, um, I love verse 13. Suddenly, not just one angel, a great company, which literally means an army, an army of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favour rests. So... The second point I want to draw from here is that peace is possible, not just wherever you are, even if you're living in a field, as it were. What is that place for you, that part of your life that feels like you're out just in a non-preferred spot? But secondarily, no matter who you are, this is a question of identity, okay? Now, these guys, I mean, there's a whole host of reasons probably why God in his amazing sovereignty chose to announce that God himself is on earth to these guys, first of all. The most obvious thing is it screams grace. Grace. One of the most tragic things about Christianity in the days in which we live is that people wrongly think to be a Christian means you have to try hard and be morally better than other people. And if you're really, really good, then God kind of might accept you. To be a Christian means you understand I am a bit of a failure. And I am broken and I am loved and cherished by the God of the universe. But I'm actually intrinsically not how I should be. We should kind of see ourselves a tiny bit in those shepherds. Now you may say, well Tom, I'm not smelly. I don't live on the edge of San Francisco. You know, sort of nomadically walking around. (laughs) That's great. Let me ask this question then. Where might that feeling of shame or not being enough show up in your life. Okay, because the principle's the same. These guys, in their identity, as non-important, non-impressive you know, uh, people, those, those men who had this extraordinary experience out in the fields, not just one angel, an army of angels. Just notice the irony. Someone pointed this out, this one scholar. It's an army, literally means an army of angels. What are they announcing? Peace. That beautiful. It's this terrifying army of angelic supernatural beings, and yet what they're actually saying is peace, joy, good news. 
Now, what this means is forever, ever until the day they died, my belief is those shepherds would have never, ever been uh, ashamed ever again in their lives. If they had any sense of like, yeah, we know what people think about us. You know, I know I'm not enough. I know I'm just this weird guy who lives with these other weird guys. And, you know, we sort of, we're not trusted by people. We're kind of on the outskirts. I, if they had any sense of shame, my, my hypothesis is in that moment when all of heaven, as it were, suddenly appeared to them and said, we're telling you. We're not telling the religious leaders. We're not telling the smart people down the street who are clean shaven and have the perfect life. We're telling you weirdos. We're telling you peripheral people. You see, Christianity has always been like a wilderness religion. It's a, that's what it is. It's a religion that delivers. I mean, Luke, the whole, one of the big things of Luke is, and you know this, this guy who wrote this, this gospel, is it's for women as well as men. Can I have a hallelujah in the house? That's a big deal in those days. Read Luke. It's like bursting with like, God loves women as much as men. Hallelujah. He loves children as much as adults. He loves the poor as much as the rich. And this is like groundbreaking. This is, this is not normal. So much of Western values that we get used to, even if it's, even if, honestly, people with a very strong liberal agenda think they're their own, they're actually mainly from Christ. He was the one who brought to this world this sense of like equality of identity between the genders and between the races and between the ages. It's Christ's message. And we see that even here. These crazy shepherds, all right, Jim, you know, out there and suddenly, oh, blimey, what's that big light? You know, I don't know why I did that accent, but I can't do a Middle Eastern one. And suddenly they're like, uh, even us, we, we're included. You're not just included, you're in the centre. You know this before King Herod. Can I have a hallelujah? Don't you love this Jesus? Oh, he's so good. Because I feel like them often. I struggle with tons of shame. And if you don't, then you probably do more than you realise. And it's still yet to bubble up. That feeling of like, I'm not enough. I compare myself with him and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like him. Or I'm, I look at her and when I compare my body image with hers, I just don't feel like I measure up. Or with your older siblings or your younger siblings. Or with those in their finances in this city. And you think, I want to fit in. <laughs> How do you fit in here? Oh, you have to earn a t- 10 billion a year? And then you fit in. You know, it's like there's a million ways in which you can feel not enough. Please tell me this isn't just me. And this is like God is saying... I mean, forever, their identity would not have been shepherds, ultimately. They're like, we're the guys who make heaven. Heaven went, woohoo! It's great joy. And you're included by grace. You don't deserve it. Nobody does. (laughs) That's the message of Christianity. It should make you go, what? Shepherds? That's weird. Yeah. And you're weird. You just might be better at hiding it and have nice whitened teeth. God sees the heart. Amen? This is so good. Peace, whoever you are. Can we start together? One, two, three. Peace, whoever you are. Where where might the Lord just want to, in this safe place, be saying, yeah, there's some shame. There's that feeling of not enough in you. Where is it hiding? 
I, I mean, it can be subtle. I just this week had a, some time with a really wonderful guy, and I came away thinking, you talk too much. Chatty Tom. Oh, I hate that. I want to be like, man of few words, Tom. <laughs> Ryan is our wonderful, she lives in the same house as us. She's, I wish I was like Ryan. Ryan has this sort of natural sort of ability to say so much with so little. Just a few words, you're like, yes, Ryan, a wise one. And I'm like, you know. And I feel shame over that, honestly. I feel like I'm, I, wish, I wish I was more like able to edit sometimes. Or I can feel, I can, uh, this week I was in a meeting, I got really emotional. And everyone else was just sort of looking at me. I was like, ah! you know, like really feeling it. And I came out like, oh, no, Tom. I wish I was more understated, you know? I don't want to be like Frasier. You know, he hits in a flap all the time. I want to be calm. And, and I can feel shame about my emotions, really. But you know what? All of heaven knows me. Like it knows the shepherd. And all of heaven says, yeah, we love you, chatty Tom. We love you, over-the-top dramatic Tom. I'm safe, right? Even if humanly you judge me. Or I judge myself more likely. I'm learning. Peace is possible, whoever you are. Peace is possible. Peace can come as I start to agree with the kindness of the heavenly host and learn to turn my back on the inner critic, Tom, that's always, you're not enough, you're not enough. That exhausting inner critic, every week. Oh, you blew it there. You should have been more like, oh, sorry, Lily, I blew it again. <sighs> it's not wrong to apologise. But you know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Hallelujah. Your identity, you're known by God. You're not here by accident. In this room here today, heavens, heaven is closer than you can imagine. And it's his kindness that he doesn't always appear because it terrifies, right? We all, people get terrified when he appears. He's like, they, want, they, want to see, they think they want to see God and then I show up and like, ah! You know, they're like, don't go away! You know, God gives us a tiny little thing. I'll just sort of give them a thought about that sparrow. That will keep them going all day. I'm like, oh, wow, that sparrow. God, you're amazing. You know, he gives us little gentle sprinkles of his revelation. Because he knows, he knows our frame. But this is the truth. Nothing is, nothing is as strong and stable as the presence of the Lord. The Lord is near. And that does bring peace. It does bring peace. It means you can, you can spot those identity things, those areas that you feel like, yeah, that's my equivalent to being a smiley shepherd. That's the thing I want to hide. And the Father says, hey, you can't hide it before me. But I love you more than you realize. And through my son, there's no shame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.